I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. So here's a very interesting story that I just read, and it reminds me of the cases that I seem to end up getting. And that is that just recently the uh, TSA at the uh, airport in Fort Lauderdale found a gun hidden inside a Florida woman's chicken. That's right. She had a uh, a raw hen that she was apparently taking to Haiti. And inside the raw hen being transported to Haiti was a uh, compact semi-automatic pistol. Now, they're not identifying exactly the pistol, but it looks like a compact 9. I can't make it out exactly. It could be a three eighty but I think it's a compact nine uh, stuffed deep into this chicken. Now, you know, I'm looking at this and thinking, did you really think that a metal gun wouldn't be found in a chicken? I mean, come on. It's going to be like they're scanning it and they're going to see a chicken and they're going to see a gun in a chicken. Now, they may think, hey, they had a rough night last night and maybe they're seeing things or something. But this is a freaking gun and a chicken. Come on. What do you expect? So I'm looking at this, and the TSA, they posted a uh, picture of it, and they decided to do some whole kind of goofy news release on it, which I don't blame them because this is very bizarre. But it does say that they... uh, uh, here, here, it says, a TSA spokesman took the opportunity to reach into their bag of Thanksgiving-themed puns as they issued a warning to other travelers looking for safety, looking to safely travel to secure firearms. And by the way, I am reading uh, parts of this, just for uh, everyone to know, from uh, a piece by... Grace Stevens and Truth About Guns. So TAG is uh, very cool. And this is where I am you know, saw this come through on the news feed. If you don't get the TAG info, you should. It's kind of fun. And here's a quote from it. It says, um, the plot chickens as we barrel our way closer to thank you. Oh, the plot chickens. I get it, like the plot thickens. Okay, let's go back to their... This is, I mean, it's, can you imagine the, TF, the TSA is actually trying to be funny? Wow. The plot chickens as we barrel our way closer to Thanksgiving. For us, it's time to be thankful that our officers are always working round the clock to keep you safe, the spokesman wrote. We hate to beak it to you, but stuffing a farm in your holiday bird for travel is a waste of time. The idea wasn't even half-baked. It was raw, greasy, and obviously unsupervised. You know, the best joke here, in my opinion, would just say that she was attempting to transport a pistol that was cocked. Right? Come on. But TSA wouldn't go there. But we can go there. We can go there on Gun Lawyer. And, you know, nothing about foul play or any of that, not being suspected. God, you know, I think they do at least that joke. Come on, TSA, get with the program and do some better jokes. You got you were just given a gun and a chicken. 
think you can do way better than what I just read? That's just pathetic. I mean, come on, right. I mean, seriously, this joke of a situation was literally handed to the TSA in a silver platter. And they failed to uh, take advantage of it. And instead, I think one day this is all going to come home to roost on the TSA over what they're doing. And and you know what? I have to say that I have actually uh, a strong desire to get away from making um, chicken jokes here. And instead, I want to tell you about other weird places that guns have been found. Even had clients with guns in weird places. And classic, of course, is, I mean, it never gets old when somebody's caught with a gun in their butt. Let's just face it. And it seems to me, from my observation, that that the preferred gun to have up your butt is a North American Arms mini revolver. I mean, it is a mini revolver, right? It makes sense. That's pretty good. If you're going to put something up your butt, I mean, you're putting a Desert Eagle is going to be just not very comfortable. But not that a North American mini revolver, you know, is going to be comfortable, but it's a... <laughs> Big difference between that and a Desert Eagle or, you know, a nice Smith 2944 Mag. No, forget it. You, you, you're at least going to have to get to, I would say, that um, that North American Revolver is probably the best choice. Although some folks might be able to push it up a notch. And I could well see somebody going in a gun shop and discussing the uh, these alternative ways of carry and having other guns suggested maybe to upsell the person like you think you could do a j-frame how about a smith j-frame we'll throw in a free can of vaseline and man you're gonna have more firepower and stopping power with a j-frame you know i can just see that right i mean come on this is it and of course uh there have been guns that have uh in uh, in uh, in vaginas, that's another thing, and that can really get disturbing. You know, you don't want to bump into a gun in a vagina, and it can be very inappropriate. But yet they're put there too. And again, I'm a longtime favorite of that is that mini revolver, the North American Arms mini revolver. I'm starting to wonder about people that own North American Arms mini revolvers. Frankly, just from having this conversation with you, why do they have it? Why do you have such a little 22 that's five shot and that's small? Seriously, what are you going to do with it? Probably put it in your vagina or your butt. That's probably what your intention is. I think they, that we could reasonably jump to that conclusion and pass laws about this. I think New Jersey needs to pass a law about having guns in people's butts and vaginas. It does occur. And they might even have a side note about in chickens. Seriously, right? Might you know I had an actual case with a guy transporting and he had his shotgun broken down, unloaded, cased, but he put it in his dog's kennel because he was going hunting. And he was bringing his hunting dog and his dog was flying in the plane in the kennel. And he said, Hey, I'll put my case shotgun in the kennel with the dog who's in a case. He didn't realize that the kennel gets put through the uh, same security screening, and he got in trouble for having his gun in the kennel. Um, 
that was a whole big to doy to get that one resolved. Now you know there is actual marketing of as weird as you know guns and butts and vaginas is. There's actually um, concealed carry devices for real that are marketed to unusual places to carry. There are you know there's such a thing as a bra holster. I'm not kidding. They're really out there. Bra holsters. And you know it's not a terrible idea actually, right? I mean um, the size of the gun you carry is uh, de- you know it's dependent on how uh, endowed the woman is to comfortably carry, but they do make bra holsters and I guess that's a hideout that uh, they could be taken advantage of. There's another product called Thunderwear. Actually called Thunderwear, and it's similar because it is deep cover near your underwear. Very deep cover, and it's literally called Thunderwear. And so there is uh, some marketing toward this and strange places that you can find guns. Recently I had a client who had a gun in a golf bag, and um, uh, that wasn't intentional. But, you know, what's interesting is that the gun made it through a whole bunch of security, not intentionally, you just forgot that it was there, I had no clue, but it was a Derringer, and I wondered how could it get through, but you know, in terms of metal, a Derringer could easily look like the head of a putter, right? And it was in a golf bag, and what they're seeing, if they're not trained to look, they might think, oh, just the head of of another golf club in there, so I guess that could have been how it got through. So these are... uh, Always fascinating when you hear about how things can be uh, hidden or even intentionally or unintentionally in places that really normally you wouldn't think of putting a firearm. But firearms are pretty flexible as to where you want to put them. Of course, there's a whole array of hidey books for hiding guns and books, hiding guns with magnets under tables and desks and all kinds of sneaky places where you can have guns hidden. The idea of that hidden gun is the ability to have that surprise and have that edge. So sometimes there's uh, validity to having a gun hidden and can give you that security edge. So some of these places definitely take that way too far. So I was, uh, I've had any number of cases where guns that were not just concealed, but even accidentally concealed, falls out of a pocket, person doesn't even know it, and it ends up you know, between the seats, and then a problem later. Many times I've had, and this is something as a concealed carrier or as a person who carries firearms, one of the things you have to be very aware of is when you go to the bathroom with your gun. Uh, this is something where I've had a number of cases where individuals accidentally leave their guns in the bathroom. Because what happens is you take your gun out of the holster to take your pants down to go to the bathroom, and uh, you forget that you did that, and people leave their guns in the bathroom. I uh, uh, Then you're in trouble because then they get the gun, then they call you in, then there's issues and you can lose your license or worse. So one of the things I strongly suggest is never removing your gun from the holster when you go to the bathroom. Um, You know, when you 
pull your pants down with your gun on the outside, the pants are inside it, flip your underwear over the gun and leave it that way so that it stays there and you that way you will not accidentally forget it. Uh, lots of times the folks you know, they take it out, they rest it on the toilet paper holder or whatever, and they get looking at their cell phone and boom, they forget their gun. And I've had many of those cases through the years of guns being forgotten, left behind because they were removed in a public bathroom. Try to make a practice of not not doing that. It may uh, save you from a lot of grief and a lot of aggravation. You know, today I was thinking about a case I had a while back, uh, but I thought it was a very interesting case. It came up thinking about how there's uh, laws that they pass, they being the anti-gunners and such, they pass laws that they know are going to have a virtual impossibility of getting enforced, but they pass them anyway. I mean, if you look at what's going on in New Jersey, they're passing laws that they have to know these laws are going to be found unconstitutional, but they're passing them anyway. I mean, lots of times there's an arrogance to what these politicians pass, even though they know they either can't be enforced, won't be enforced, or are going to be found unconstitutional, yet they still pass them. And one of the things that came to mind, I had a case with a fellow who, uh, he was he gave me a call that his, his guns were seized pursuant to a uh, claim of domestic violence, but as common in New Jersey, there was nothing to it, and the domestic violence matter was dismissed. But once the guns and things were seized, then you've got to fight to get your rights and your guns back, even though the restraining order, the temporary restraining order was unfounded. It doesn't matter. You still have to go through the whole fight. And then, of course, if anything's found when the guns are seized, then that can create an escalation to criminal charges of all sorts or criminal investigation. And that's what happened here. There was a criminal investigation, and this was one that it was a bit outside the norm. Because after his guns were seized and he called me, we're going to move to get him back and do what we had to do. We get a contact from the FBI Weapons of Mass Destruction Unit. And they want to talk to my client about what was confiscated from him. And I'm like, wow, that's a new one. Client with, you know, what, nukes? I mean, what, weapons of mass destruction? from a DV seizure. What is this? What is going on with this? And so uh, normally you want to not say anything. You want to remain silent, all that. And you always want to have your attorney. But given the nature of this, uh, we did meet with the FBI. And uh, don't incline not to say anything, of course, but we'll hear him out and see what the deal is. Well, it ends up that what my client was doing is he, he had a job working in a junkyard. And this was his bona fide documented job. And one of the things that he was uh, doing in this scrapyard, this scrap junkyard for his boss, was they were getting all these old thermostats. It's just routine getting them. And one of the things he was doing was removing the old mercury switches from the thermostats. And they would, I guess, recycle sell uh, the mercury. And so he had a bucket of uh, mercury switches, but, you know, came through 
Mercury switches. Well, wow, no, it's nothing. It wasn't making bombs or weapons of mass destruction. He had a bucket. This was his job, and we verified that he was to take these things apart and do that. <coughs> so we were able to make that clear. But you see, even though his job was to do that, and this was completely innocent and no problem, when they had raided his home, he also had books that he had purchased at the gun show. And any of you who've been to gun shows know you can get all kinds of books and all kinds of interesting things. And there are books there that are actually on uh, weapons. There's military manuals on weapons, on improvised weapons, on things like that. And it's called the First Amendment, folks. You can have the knowledge. You can read about it. In my own practice, I need to know about these things because I get cases that involve these very things, okay? There's all kinds of reasons. You want to write interesting crime stories and novels, you want to know this stuff. You know, just knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Oh, no, no, no. You get have you, some books were found, and the same books anyone could buy at a gun show anywhere online, same deal. And the FBI was questioning him and the reason they really wanted to talk to him i finally found out i'm like look you guys know these are mercury switch to thermostats and what what brought you into the, you know what is it why is a weapon of mass destruction and here's the thing that i thought was very interesting he said, oh no well well one of the books one of the books found was a book by uncle fester i swear to god this is a pseudonym this guy and it was uncle fester's uh I think kitchen table guide maybe to making gunpowder or something, just a book on something like. But anyway, and one of it's one of these uh, books like that. And so what? He didn't. He wasn't making gunpowder. Even if he did, it was something of interest. And I don't even know, you know, legally you could or couldn't. But he, he wasn't. But so what? It's just knowledge. Doesn't matter. But it wasn't that that book was illegal. You see, what they wanted was they wanted to know if. My client knew this author. It's like, what? He didn't know this author. He bought a book by this, you know, it's a, it's, well, they just wanted to know if he knew the author. And it, like, I'm like, I can't believe you're going down this path over a book. And so what if he did, but he didn't? I mean, what is that? Oh, well, you see, it so, it so happens that this guy, Uncle Fester, uh, apparently wrote a, another book. This isn't one my client had, by the way. But apparently wrote another book called something like The Kitchen Table Guide to Making Methamphetamine or some drug book. And he and he's actually a bona fide chemist, this this author. Even though he goes by he's like I guess he's like a real Walter White or something. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever it was, the FBI said we find his book at every meth lab. We want to, you know, we are we want to get this guy. And like, okay, that's nothing to do with my client. What's it? Well, there's this law that that Diane Feinstein put forward and i'm like what law a law where if you teach how to make explosives or other things for use in terrorism you know this whole weird thing that you can you know be prosecuted for that I'm like well my guy did nothing it has nothing to do with that nothing well we're we're because we're trying to get this uncle fester guy and they're so trying to get this guy that they're trying to use this law that is essentially a standing violation of the First Amendment. And what they have to show to even keep its constitutionality 
can't even be demonstrated. And the agent even told me, yeah, there's this law has been on the books for a while. There's never been a single prosecution under it. Right, because you can't even achieve it because of the First Amendment issues that are there. And the whole thing's ridiculous. And, and I'm looking back saying, I can't believe the amount of time we wasted over this targeting of an individual by trying to find the, the crime. Okay, it isn't the crime and then investigate and find the per but find the crime to fit the guy and try to do it through the guy I'm representing over all this nonsense. And I'm thinking, you know, this is really... More and more from that point on, I saw that unfortunately a lot of law enforcement gets done in that way, right? Find the crime that fits the man. That's what they're looking for. That's how they're trying to do it. And if you look around at how the politicization of our Justice Department, of these agencies, and this whole focus on who they're trying to get, it's not the investigation of the crime anymore. It's who they're trying to get. And in the general big picture, New Jersey's trying to get gun owners. Literally trying to get them. And you look at this bill, this 4769, and it is engineered to get you. It's engineered so that that gun owner has this matrix that's a matrix of impossibility so we can get them. And you may say, hey, I'm just really cynical, but you know what? I've been doing this 35 plus years now, and I see it. And that's why the fight for our rights is more important than ever. And these are the hurdles and, in effect, the failings of our system that need to be improved. When we come back, I'm going to tell you how you can get an authentic, original actual military 45 1911 from the source for over 30 years attorney evan knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people that's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of america's gun owners a fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights justice and freedom an unrelenting gun rights spokesman, tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Hey, welcome back to Gun Lawyer. I'm Evan Knappen, and I'm 
so happy that you're joining me where I can convey some really interesting thoughts and maybe even useful information in your life. And I'm going to give you a tip right now that some of you may not be aware of, but I think this is it's pretty cool. I don't know if you're aware of what what used to be called the DCM. The DCM was a division of civilian marksmanship. And uh, in the old days with DCM, I guess I can call myself old, through the DCM you could buy military arms directly from the U.S. government as a civilian for competition, and the theory was to keep citizens with firearms that they could practice their marksmanship skills with, and it was to keep us a nation of riflemen and shooters. And it was great because I remember I bought my M1 Grand rifle. They were extremely reasonable, crazy reasonable price. I think it cost me $93 for an M1 Grand. Uh, they've sold through the DCM you know, M1 carbines. I think they were, what, 15 to 20 bucks a piece. Uh, even uh, 1911-45s. Uh, they were, they were twenty bucks, etc. Whatever, crazy low prices. And the thing is, when you bought the guns, <coughs> when you bought the guns, they would ship them directly to your door, which was really cool. I remember uh, when my grand came into the local post office. I guess it arrived and was after hours, like the post office closed. I got a call from the postmaster to post. Uh, we have this package. I prefer for you to come in now and pick it up. They didn't want to hold it over the weekend. I'm like, okay, no problem. I was excited, man. Yeah, I got there. Got that M1 Grand from the DCM. And then one point later, they had a lottery. A lottery, if your name got picked, you were able to buy not an, M1, an M1D Sniper M1 Grand. M1D Sniper. Oh, this is a original, authentic, military Grand Sniper Rifle. And it came with everything. All the accessories. The scope, the container for the scope, the sling, the, the cheek pad. Every, it just loaded with goodies. And it's all original, authentic, right from the government. And um, I was so psyched my name got picked. And I was able to buy it just ridiculously cheap, an M1D sniper rifle. And when it came in, I was so excited and open. And oh my God, I couldn't believe it. It was a Winchester M1D sniper M1 Grand. I still have that gun. What a fantastic M1 Grand. I got that through the DCM. So. I've always appreciated the DCM and the ability, but you know, the DCM ended up um, no longer existing. And the DCM was replaced by the CMP, the Civilian Marksmanship Program. And in so doing, um, they still offer firearms of different type. They have a little bit different than the way the DCM did things and not as cheap as you used to be able to buy from the DCM, 
but still some good deals. And anyway, uh, they offer rifles at different times, M1 Garands. There's even a couple stores through the U.S. You can actually go there and look and buy guns for the CMP. But here's the key thing. As fun as the CMP is, they now have what they're calling round three of the 1911 sales. Now, this is really special. This is where the CMP is selling actual United States issue M1911A1 pistols that have been that were put in storage and now they're releasing them and selling them to the public that qualify and get picked for the CMP program. And apparently they extended the cutoff date and they didn't say to what date, but I still think you're able to get into this. What you have to do is you have to, if you go to the CMP website, Civilian Marksmanship Program, just Google you know, CMP 1911 information. It'll come up and it's free to put in your paperwork. You put in your paperwork, which is application about you, and you have to belong to a CMP-affiliated uh, club, which, by the way, um, the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs is such a affiliated club, and you should be you should belong to the ANJRPC just to protect your gun rights, if nothing else. But there's a bonus there because they're a CMP-recognized club, and um, you know, read through the requirements. It's not that tough. And uh, you submit the app, and then what happens is you get it in, and they send you this lottery number. And at some point in the future, you hope that you get called. And the odds are very good that you will get a call where you're able to purchase directly from the government a 1911. Now, they don't ship it to your door. It does go to a dealer these days. But still, they're pretty cool because... Um, they have different grades of the 1911 that they sell. The highest grade that you might be able to buy at the time, it depends what they have available, is what they're called service grade. Now, the service grade is $1,250, and there's a field grade for $1,150, rack grade for $1,050, and range grade for $1,100. But I'm going to tell you right now, any of these guns that you get, they're worth double as soon as you get them. They're just all great, original, authentic 1911A1s military from the military, from storage in the military. So you just can't go wrong buying one of these for the history and for the just the quality of military production, and you never know what you may get. And you never know what maker, too, because there's a lot of cool, you might get a you know, Remington Rand or a or a Colt, or um, any of the other fine makers, Ithaca, etc., that made the 1911A1. Um, I don't think you're going to get the Singer sewing machine one, though. I think they pull them out if they find any. They're, you know, very rare and extremely expensive. But look, it's a great deal, and you're only allowed to get one of them. And so if you got one in round one or round two, you can't do round three. 
But if you have never purchased your CMP1911, go there, put in your app, get your number, and get a 1911 right out of the government arsenal that you can uh, own for yourself. And it comes in a really great case, really super strong case that it's shipped in. It has papers of authenticity, the whole bit. It's really a great, great investment. So that's a tip from uh, your favorite gun lawyer to check that out and jump on that program. All right. This is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.